You know, if you're, if you're sharing the story of the incarnation, of Christ coming, God in the flesh, which of course always involves the virgin birth. You can't get there without that. And if you're telling that story, and maybe you're in a, a park talking to some homeless folks, or maybe you're talking to some high school or college students, or really anywhere where there might be skeptics in the audience, which is just about anywhere these days, someone is bound to comment, right, what her husband say. Likely story. Let's see, you're pregnant, and how'd you say it happened? The ordering of the New Testament, as we have it, answers those questions right up front. About the only text we didn't read from concerning the birth is Matthew. So let me read that from Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the King of the Jews, is what that term Christ means, Messiah. The one who would come and reign over God's kingdom. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, they were betrothed, which in our day we'd call it engaged, but once they were engaged, as we call it, he would be her husband, and to break off the engagement, you'd have to have a divorce. It's pretty serious stuff. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then, of course, he quotes Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which in Hebrew is transparently God with us or the with us God. When Joseph woke up, he he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, Joseph was as skeptical as anyone would be. I mean, Mary explains to him how she wound up pregnant, and I'm sure he's thinking, right, like anyone would. He wasn't going to throw all the weight of the law at her. He was going to be nice about it. He, He could have shamed her publicly. He could have made the rest of her life miserable. But instead, he was going to do it quietly, as a kind man would. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel of the Lord confirms what Mary said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which, as noted, means God with us. God with us. Extracted from this story that we read about Jesus being born, taken out of its contact, it's not offensive to most people today. 
God with us, they kind of expect that he is. In fact, he might be you or me. Most likely, it's just them. But certainly, he's with us. And they all have direct access to him. God with us, they're fine with that. By itself, it can be understood in such a way as to take Christ out of Christmas, as it were. It becomes Godmas. You know, we just have Godmas instead of Christmas. Let me illustrate the difference. People today are willing to fill stadiums and sing God Bless America. But if we were to make one small change to that song, one tiny little change to that song, such that we sang Jesus Christ Bless America, well, you'd find all of a sudden amazing resistance to anyone singing that publicly. People are fine with singing God Bless America, whoever he is. Surely he ought to. But they're not so fine with Jesus Christ, bless America. As long as it's the generic God who blesses us, who helps us be all that we can be, who protects us from our enemies and demands nothing of us and cannot be offended by us, to be sure, then we're happy to sing whatever about him you'd like to sing about him. What Matthew is saying, however, is that Jesus, the one born of a virgin who will save people from their sins, The one described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is God with us. It is that particularity that people want to take out of Christmas. I've I've noticed something. I'm a little slow, I'm sure, on the uptake because I don't watch that many Christmas movies. But this year I watched um, one on the Hallmark Channel and then I saw part of another one that we were watching when we were away. and, And so... You see these, these Christmas stories, and it, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with a cute romance in a, in a Christmas story. I think it's nice. I, it's, it's wonderful. But it used to be that a Christmas movie that had romance in it, the way it worked was that you had Christmas, and you had this season of giving, and you had this idea of humility and humbling oneself, and you had all the celebration of that and all the kind of romantic you know, sort of sense of environment that goes with that, and two people fall in love in the act of, of walking through Christmas and what it did to change them. And that's all well and good. Now, I've noticed in the newer movies, Christmas is just a romantic season. It's just, you, two people fall in love because, well, it's Christmas, and that's what you do at Christmas. It's, it's romance for romance's sake. It's as if Xmas has become the, an expensive version of Valentine's Day. My, my concern is not that the world wants to take Christ out of Christmas. Frankly, the world has long since taken Christ out of Christmas, and that's their prerogative. I don't think the Christians or the church should go around trying to get them to put Christ back in Christian, Christmas. Now, we should talk to them about Christ and what his coming means and what that means for them. That's a different discussion. My concern is actually that the church is prone to take Christ out of Christmas. Now, let me be a little more accurate. I would say that the church all too often is happy to keep Christmas about Christ, to be sure. But we've done a fair job of removing Christ from Christianity the rest of the year. Attending church has become about a motivational message that will help you attain all you want in life and feel good about yourself. And don't get me wrong, I I want people to do well in life, and I'm fine with you feeling good about yourself, generally. But there is nothing inherently Christian about that. 
Ultimately, Christmas is a celebration of the birth of a king. A birth that threatens the powers that be, both in the world around us and within us. I'll say that again. A birth that threatens the powers that be, both in the world around us and within us. Many a king has claimed to be a god. That's not new. Jesus is the God who came to be king. Many an athlete athlete has been elevated to the status of a God in our culture. Jesus is God who came to be the champion of our salvation. When I say Jesus is a king, I, I do want to note that he is a king like no other king. To say that Jesus is king doesn't really capture the full essence of it because we think about earthly kings, and then we ascribe that to Jesus, but that doesn't work, really. It, it, it works in terms of his authority, and it's even more than that, but it doesn't work in terms of his nature, the, the way he is a king. It is Jesus who makes his rule both everything we desire and everything we resist at once. We desire him because of his beauty, his humility, the way he lays his life down for us. We resist him because he calls us to follow him and live under his rule, which is to do the same for others. So I want to talk about two things. The extraordinariness of Jesus' birth. The extraordinariness of Jesus' birth. And then finally, the ordinariness of Jesus' birth. And, and really, it's those two things that tend to offend when it comes to Jesus being God with us, the virgin birth. His birth, one of the extraordinary things about his birth is it was promised. His birth was promised. We heard earlier read from the Old Testament where his birth was promised. Promises about Jesus began being written down over a millennia before his birth. It's a bit like in the land of Narnia in the C.S. Lewis's uh, his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you're familiar with that, you'll recognize this. But when the, the children enter into the land of Narnia through the wardrobe, humans entering the land, everyone keeps asking them, are you a daughter of Eve or are you a son of Adam? When the white witch encounters Edmund, she wants him to be specific about how many there are. She kept asking, quote, you are sure there are just four of you? Two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve, neither more nor less. And Edmund, with his mouth full of Turkish delight, kept on saying, Yes, I told you that before. Why? Well, because of the prophecy. As Mrs. Beaver explains, quote, That when two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve sit on those four thrones, those at Car Paravel, then it will be the end, not only of the white witch's reign, but of her life. And that is why we had to be so cautious as we came along. For if she knew about you four, your lives wouldn't be worth a shake of my whiskers. You see, the particularities mattered because these fours, their arrival was predicted. It was prophesied in advance in that story, much like Christ's birth was prophesied. So many things about Jesus' coming were prophesied, and he fulfilled them to a T. This is good because had his coming not been precisely foretold, nobody would have believed him to be a king at all. 
the second thing that's extraordinary about his birth is that he was born of a virgin. Now, I've mentioned that already, but if you think of it, it is quite extraordinary. I mean, let's face it, to be a Christian requires faith. I mean, let's just stop right there. Born of a virgin. If we can't get past that, we're not getting anywhere. I mean, people are always worried about whether or not Jonah was swallowed by a real well, whether that was our fish, or whether that was symbolic or whatever it was. Who cares? I mean, let's talk about born of a virgin and resurrected from the dead. Okay, much bigger fish to fry, pardon the pun. <clears throat> for, for many, the virgin birth is a deal breaker. which is a bit ironic. These same people who won't believe in the virgin birth live as if money can bring you ultimate happiness, despite the evidence to the contrary. And they won't believe Jesus was born of a virgin because they say, we know that's not possible. Which, of course, would require that you know everything to know that that's not possible. But since the very notion of a creator God makes such things as virgin birth quite possible... It is more likely that they won't believe because it would mean just that, that Jesus is, in fact, God. Of course, it was necessary that Jesus be born of a virgin because we all know that power corrupts, and absolute power among common men corrupts absolutely. So if Jesus were going to reign over everything with absolute power, he could not be contaminated by the propensity which every human has, which means that power corrupts them. Not Jesus. Yet he is fully human. He's born of a virgin. Fully human. Fully God. His birth was extraordinary because angels announced his birth. I don't know about you, but angels did not announce my birth. (laughs) Didn't happen. Shepherds are not particularly religious people. In fact, in their day, it was considered an unclean occupation among the Jews. So... They really couldn't be religious people. Yet they reported a visitation of angels announcing the birth of a king who had come in David's line, the Messiah, who would bring peace to the earth. Of course, the angels spoke then. The angels also visited Mary and Elizabeth, and the angels visited Joseph in a dream. So angels were announcing his birth. Oh, and then you have Zechariah, the father of John, and so on and so on. The extraordinariness of Jesus' birth. Then I want to talk about the ordinariness of Jesus' birth. That's the other thing that offends people. While the birth of Jesus may offend because of how extraordinary it was in all the ways I've described and more, it might also offend because of how ordinary it was. Think about it for a moment. He was born the son of a peasant woman. He was from Nazareth in Galilee, which is the equivalent of saying he was from the wrong side of the tracks, a a nobody of the wrong bloodline. He was of no account even among his family. When Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for the census, there was no room for him in the inn. The NIV is likely more accurate to say that there was no room for them in the guest room. The, The word used likely refers to the fact that they found distant relatives in Bethlehem, which probably didn't have any inns for the record such a small town, but they they had distant relatives there, and since there were so many traveling there for the census, that would have been distant relatives. They're all staying at the same relatives' homes that they could find, and the usual guest room was unavailable. 
So they were left to sleep in the main living area, like sleeping on the living room floor. You know, you ever have the relatives that come down to Florida? They want to come where it's warm. You say, well, we got room on the living room floor. Of course, now that all the kids are married and now we have room and beds, and that's a little bit more comfortable. <clears throat> but nobody wants to necessarily be on the living room floor. Well, their living room floor is a little different than ours. It was open on one side because you had a, a front porch that was enclosed, and the animals at night had to be brought in so that they wouldn't be taken or who knows what in the night. So they would bring them in. And, and of course, they're tromping around. And that room is open to where the animals are. And along the uh, opening there is the feeding trough where you would put food and water and different things for the animals. And so you sleep in the living room. You're sleeping with the smell of the animals. It's like sleeping in a barn, effectively. And that's likely where they were sleeping and staying. Then, hence, Jesus was wrapped and laid in a manger, the feeding trough right there, convenient for them. One thing we often miss in our nativity plays is the smells that go along with it. Smells of the animals and what comes out of them. Jesus did not assume a desirable way of life which would attract us. He lived something quite different. To be provincial, as some say, or as we may say here, country folk, It had no greater connotation then than it does now. They were backward. In fact, Matthew later tells us that Jesus was called a Nazarene, which was used as a derogatory term for its backwardness, at least by the people who weren't from there. The Incarnation spoils our fascination with spirituality also. It's too ordinary. Today, though religion is passé, spirituality is all the rage. Spirituality is about the transcendent, and and that is good. And as long as spirituality focuses on what is beyond us, and it should, but not only that, it, it can be anything and require nothing of us. It's so transcendent, it makes no claim upon my life. If Jesus is God incarnate, then spirituality can no longer be just anything. Jesus makes what is abstract concrete, and that requires something of us. Eugene Peterson put it this way, If the usefulness of the term spirituality is in its vague and comprehensive suggestiveness of everything beyond and more and deep, the term Jesus is useful as it gathers all the diffused vagueness into a tight, clear, light-filled focus. His life, speaking of Jesus, is precisely revelation. You see, if God had only remained aloof, distant, other, then people would be more inclined toward him. It's when he became concrete in Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we are required to make a decision about who he really is. Do we accept or reject this God, this particular God? What is sometimes most disturbing is what he turns out to be like. His appearance was not fit, we read, for the cover of magazines, intending to draw the casual looker in because of the intrigue. There was nothing majestic in the way we think of majesty that captures our our, our inmost longings. Nothing in his appearance that would bring out our desire Sure, he would have occasionally drawn a large crowd, but he would quickly do something to change that. He never filled um, 
his entourage with the famous, but rather associated with the lowly, those society felt free to trample on. Somebody surely needed to talk to his marketing department. But they had no idea what they were doing. He was more interested in restoring a son to a woman or a leper to his community or a mother-in-law with a fever to her usual waiting on everyone's self. But he called everyone, friend and foe alike, to follow him with such self-sacrifice that, only the, uh, that the only metaphor which would describe it involved execution, dying to self, taking up a cross. So in closing, just draw our attention back to the exclusivity of Jesus' birth. As long as it's just God bless America, everyone's fine. The minute it becomes Jesus Christ, that makes an exclusive claim. And that brings us back to the incarnation. When God became human, the extraordinary collided with the ordinary in such a way that Jesus either offends or he humbles. Those who are humbled by him bow in worship and live in love. You know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. The moment you define the destination, a lot of options are eliminated. Jesus, as God with us, reduces the roadways to God down to one. Jesus, God with us, stands in opposition to a depersonalized God, a generic God, or the God of our own making. It's Jesus. We need, what we need is light. And Jesus coming into the world was that light in a dark place. Our calling is to bring light to the world. And so we're going to do what we do each year at this time. As Christ came into the world, He came into a very dark world. I'm reaching for the lighters which have been moved. There it is. (laughs) He came into a very dark world. And that light has been spread from him to his disciples and them to others and those others to still others. And we demonstrate that here. And we're going to begin, if we can have the, the lights, even the stage lights dimmed a bit. I'll light this and then I'll pass the light to someone and then we'll just continue to pass it as you get, get it and pass it on to others.